Once again, welcome to Oasis Baptist Church. Was that a little bit of a different music set than you're used to? Yeah. Well, we, uh, we, had, we did have someone set up for worship this uh, morning, but they had a family emergency come up, and so we're thankful. Uh, I'm thankful for uh, Rachel Keegan and Shelby and then Caleb for filling in literally last minute um, this past week, and uh, so we actually borrowed an orchestration app from a friend of mine, and uh, I will say this. This is when you miss uh, an awesome piano player like uh, Mickey, because if we're off on timing, she makes anyone up here look better by making it work. The app is not as forgiving, um, but either way, uh, we're thankful we can just gather together and honestly just sing praise unto the Lord this morning. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 this morning. I'm going to get this guy out of the way. Titus chapter 2, we're going to pick up right where we left off last week. We finished verses 1 through 3 as we continue the series, Titus, Life-Changing Grace for World-Changing Action. Uh, as you know, Pastor Aaron spoke of the first three weeks in chapter 1, and uh, last week we kicked off chapter 2. We'll be in verses 4 to 10 today um, as we continue the, the title of Be Healthy, but part 2. Uh, Be Healthy, part 2, and uh, we're looking at spiritual health. So before I get started, I do have a question for those of you that were here last week. Um, I did get a few phone calls, text messages, um, in regards to, I was speaking about physical diets last week, and I was talking about certain diets that my wife and I had done, and I had lost X amount of pounds. Um, I got phone calls this week asking me, hey, Pastor Dan, can you give me the name of that diet that you were talking about? Because that's not a bad idea. And I made the joke like, that's all you got? No, I'm just kidding. Um, so obviously, we were talking about being physically fit in relation to connecting it with being spiritually fit. Last week, we looked at the idea of where the spiritual health should emphasize. Uh, here in the book of Titus chapter 2, Paul is writing to Titus in regards to how he needs to lead the Cretan people on the island of Crete, which we saw in chapter 1 were not the most upstanding of individuals or a culture. But Titus's uh, task was to lead them back to a state of spiritual health. And in order to do that, Paul was instructing Titus on certain changes that needed to happen, needed to take place. And so we looked at last week into the need of the Cretan church and even us today. We look specifically at a return to sound faith. They had to teach the truth. There was some, some false teachings that crept into the churches in Crete in chapter 1, similar to, the, to the, um, those that creeped in, in the church of Galatia. And so with that being said, they were returning to sound faith. We also looked at the need of Paul exclaiming to Titus that we need to have a deeper relationship with God to know God so well, to know His Word so well, that when false teachings and things of that nature creep in, we can take a stand and we know uh, what is truth and what is not. And then lastly, last week, we talked about we have to realize our responsibility as experienced men or women, or the Bible used the term aged. I, like I said, I try to stay away from the term old, um, but aged uh, literally also meant ambassadors. Think about that, ambassadors, aged men, aged women as ambassadors for the doctrine of God to the families there within the churches in Crete. <clears throat> so the last thing we realized last week was our responsibility as experienced ambassadors to train the current and the next generation. So this week, we're going to pick up back in chapter 2. We're going to start off in verse 4, and our, we're going to shift from realizing our responsibility to that of focusing on the recipients of 
of the sound faith of the right teaching. And so specifically the recipients in this portion of scripture is the younger women, younger women, excuse me, and the younger men. And we must remember in order to enact change in our culture, the change that has to take place has to be addressed and it has to center around the home. In order for us to change the church, we need to focus on the home. In order for us to reach the community outside these walls, we have to focus on the home, and then it obviously reciprocates to the church and likewise. Because the goal, the main thing of this, is outside these walls, and maybe even inside these walls, maybe even inside the walls of our homes, there may be souls, there may be individuals that don't know Christ as their Lord and Savior. Souls are what is at stake, and that is why it's so necessary for us as a church to be healthy, first at the home, then the church, and then into the community. So starting off in verse 4 through 10, let's read the passage, and then we'll jump right into the study this morning. Verse 4 says this, that they, let me back up, I'm sorry, let me back up to verse 3 because we get the subject there. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not giving to much wine, teachers a good thing. So verse 4 continues, the aged women teaching the younger women, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Verse 6, young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their masters, and to please them well in all things, not answering again. In verse 10, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Lord, in these next few moments, I pray that you would just fill me with your spirit and give me the exact words you'd have me to say. Help us to leave here changed than when we came. Help us to take these principles about how to be healthy, have a healthy family, have a healthy church, and apply it to our, our heart and our daily walk with you. Lord, we love you. I ask this in your name. Amen. So, sorry, I got an ice cube. <laughs> Didn't expect that to happen. Um, so with this, we're jumping right on the heels of verse 3, going into verse 4, where the first audience we're seeing is the aged women are continuing uh, to be told from Titus through Paul, ultimately through the inspiration of Scripture from God, on how to teach the younger women. And so before we get into it, the main idea today is simply this, and I've restated this a few times, but I don't want to miss it. In order to be healthy as Christians and ultimately as the church, we must set the right example. And we must set the right example with the right heart, with the right heart spirit. So jumping into verse 4, first thing we see this morning is our roles. Last week we, re we realized our responsibility. This week we're going to look at our role in action, whether it be that of an aged man or an aged woman or even as the recipient of the teaching. So it says there that they may teach the younger women, verse 4, to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. For the church to be healthy, the home needs to be healthy first. In a day-to-day -day where the family is under constant attack, and if you don't believe me, I can show you websites, I can show you political groups, manifestos, and the actual, they're not even trying to hide it anymore. They're literally putting it out there for the destruction, as they state, of the nuclear family. And I can tell you from experience, I grew up in a broken home 
for the first eight years of my life. And then my stepdad came in to the picture. I'm not here to, to like throw shame or anything at my parents, but there was a difference in the first eight years of my life because the family, as we saw it, mom did an incredible job and she did an amazing job. I'll sing her praises all day long. But when dad came into the home, when the family unit was was kind of, for the lack of a better term, restored, then we as children were in a much healthier and safer environment to grow up. And so the family being under attack today, these virtues that we're going to go through in these next few verses are like if you're a parent or even, even if you're an empty nester and the kids may no longer be in the home anymore, these are still virtues that you can instill in your grown children. These are virtues that not only you instill as a parent to your children, but as people within the church that we can instill on other younger adults or younger families or even teenagers when it comes to these virtues. It's almost like this book, this portion of Scripture is a recipe for how to have a healthy church. And I don't know about you, but... I don't really do a lot of recipe stuff in my house because one time I did a tablespoon of salt instead of a teaspoon and the cookies turned out bad and my wife never let me live that down ever again. And so these next two verses, verses four and five, are really going to focus on the role specifically of the woman in regards to the home. You see, the home is the center of life. It's the nucleus of everything that happens within our lives. And if we're honest I see this from a, as a child to see my mom, my grandmother, and I've seen it over the last seven years as, as, as a husband to my wife. If we're honest with ourselves, based off of Scripture, based off of the principles we're about to lay out right here, and based off of function, I believe the Bible is showing us that the, the woman is the most equipped and empowered by God's intentional design to be the, 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 the structure or the catalyst to keep the home glued together. And so there's been times, and I'll get into it in a little bit, and so we're going to look into those where the woman is designed to do that. Now, I'm not saying the woman cannot work outside the home. I'm going to share with you personal examples of the virtues that are listed, and I'm going to share with you a personal story of my own mother who worked 40, 60, sometimes 80 hours a week as a single parent for eight years, and then when my stepdad came into the picture, them together, these values were instilled. So, the, so these values are not scheduled on an eight-to-five timesheet, okay? These are values that each and every one of us ought to instill in our homes, respectively into our churches, and then values that will all, that'll also filter out into the community. The task at hand right here is that the age-experienced women, ambassadors, to train and to teach, and to not just train it and not just to show it by example, but intentionally last week we specifically said to speak intentional teaching in the, so there was the result of a behavioral change. And so the same way you would, ed, you would scold or talk to or, or sit down with your child and say, hey, you did this, and this is what you did was wrong. Now here's why it was wrong, and now here's what you should do next time. So we have to be intentional with that within the home and within the church. All of it, though, is for the glory of God. Because what's at stake? Why does Oasis Baptist Church need to be healthy? Because outside these walls, there are people that don't know the Lord. In our own homes, in our own extended families, we may have aunts, uncles, cousins that don't know the Lord. And what we're going to see today is we're going to see our role in action. We're going to see how we have to set the example. And then we're also going to see the idea that we have to have the right heart in that because people are watching us. So when it comes to the virtues at home, people need the Lord and nothing pleases the Lord more than when someone comes to a saving knowledge of Him as their Savior. So verse 4, right off the bat, sober. What does sober mean? We picked that up last week. We talked about it being right-mindedness. We talked about it not inhibiting your mind in a sense. So the aged women are to teach the younger women to be sober. They're to teach the younger women to love their husbands. 
No other better explanation I can share of this was that of my own mom and my, I say stepdad, but Troy was really my dad for the lack of a, he was functionally, he raised me. But the one thing um, that was interesting was I never saw them fight. I never saw them like argue. I never saw them go toe to toe. Have I seen them do disagreements? Yeah. Have I seen them voice their concerns uh, if mom thought one way or dad thought the other way? Absolutely. But one of the things that I remember growing up the most, and I know this cannot be said of every single home. I'm very aware of that. But one of the blessings I had growing up was I was able to grow up in a home where I saw a mom and a dad love each other. You know, and it says here in Scripture in Ephesians 5.25 that a healthy marriage is the, the women in, in, in this passage are being instructed to love their husbands, but in Ephesians 5.25, husbands are being instructed to love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So not only is there this, this idea of soberness being taught, but there's this idea of a healthy marriage being taught. Not only a healthy marriage, but a healthy parent-child relationship. If you look there at the end of verse 4, it says to love their children. One thing I intentionally do as much as I possibly can, and I sound like a broken record, it's one of the first things I taught Kenna, and it was one of the first things I taught Abby, was I would say, as dad, I love you. And it took... I remember Kenna was like maybe like six months old and uh, I'm holding her and I'm like, I love you. And I'm being like all gushy like a dad would be with his little girl. I love you. And she hasn't spoken a word, but she looks up at me. She goes, and I'm looking like, she said it. And I'm like so excited. And Rachel's looking at me like she burped up milk. And so, and I was like, no, she said, I love you. But there's a thing where, and then as Kenna got older, she said it and we say it back to each other all the time. Abby is now, the last couple of months, been saying it back. There's nothing like as a father that just brings more joy and warmth to my heart than to tell my children I love them and then to hear it right back. But I'm also aware that there's many children that I've dealt with and I've counseled and I talked to, especially in like the public school ministry, um, but also here in Oasis Student Ministry. I've talked with children that the love wasn't felt as much as it ought to have been. And, it's, and it really breaks my heart because, for the lack of a better term, I was spoiled. I was spoiled because my parents understood the responsibility to teach the next generation. My parents understood the virtues that we're laying out right here in this chapter. And um, even more so, I'm also aware that for the first eight years of my life, I didn't have a father. And statistically speaking, I was in that statistic. And if you look at statistics today about fatherless homes and the percentage of children from those homes that get involved into messy situations like crime, the numbers are astronomically outstanding. Outstanding, Like, they're just astounding. They're, they shock you. But at the same time, even if father wasn't in the home, God is still your father. Even if mom wasn't there, God is still your father. For the first eight years of my life, I watched a single mom hustle and work 40, 60, sometimes 80 hours a week just to put food on the table. And y'all, I'm a simple guy. Macaroni and cheese and hot dogs is a gourmet dinner for me, okay? Like Sunday night dinner, Kraft Mac, I've upgraded to Velveeta and stuff like that. But um, either way, like we never were in a situation where we felt like there was no money. We never were in a situation where we felt like we were starving. Mom did her best. And they're single parents, they're single moms, they're single dads today, whether here or even watching on live stream, that are working their tail off, trying to wear two hats. But the Bible is very clear in this passage that there's roles that God designed the mom to be the best at in the home. And there's roles that we'll talk about that, the, that God had designed the man to be the best at. And so in the context of the church, Paul's telling Titus, hey, Titus, this is what, here's the lesson for you to take to the aged women to give to the younger women. Titus, I'm going to deal with you here in a second because you're going to be teaching the younger men. And so 
So there's the idea of sober, a healthy marriage, a healthy parent-child relationship. Ephesians 6.4 says this, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Our highest calling in our life is to raise our children. Our highest calling. It's the greatest responsibility we have. It goes on to say, ladies, be discreet, meaning it to be sensible, to have your priorities and a sound mind and good judgment. When I'm like all over the place, I love having a conversation with my wife and I just dump all my thoughts and then she like kind of brings it back to like a place of simplicity and I'm just like, why didn't I think of that? Or my favorite, when she's telling me something over and over and over again and I'm sitting in the office, whether it be Norma or Elizabeth, hey, Dan, do you ever think about this? Hey, what a great idea. Then I run home, hey, Rach, guess what? This happened. She goes, I've been telling you that for six weeks. You just didn't listen to me? And I'm like, well, apparently I just needed another voice to get through. But um, when it comes to being sensible and having priorities and a sound mind, like there's no greater, in my opinion, the way God designed women to be wired in the sense when it comes to areas of discretion, when it comes to areas of decision-making, from my experience, and guys, I'm, I apologize if I'm selling us short, but at the same time, I'm going to give credit where credit is due. Um, God so graciously knew in the garden that when he saw Adam, what did he say? It was not good. He needed a what? Help meet. So that principle has gone all the way back to creation. And so with that being said, I'm done trashing on the guys. Um, no. um, the, the next characteristic, the next virtue there in verse 4, sober, love their husbands, or excuse me, verse 5, discreet, chaste, the idea of pure, inside and out. Is, is, is purity a topic that we talk about with our children, or do we wait for a youth pastor to handle it one day? Can I tell you something? I don't want to be the first person to have that conversation with your child on having a pure heart, having a pure mind, having a pure thought life. That is our responsibility as parents. But even within the church, it's our responsibility as aged men and women to look at the younger men and women and have that same type of virtuous conversation. Say, hey, I love you, but you probably shouldn't be doing that. Or, hey, I love you. Let me help the next time something like that comes up. So the idea of purity there, keepers at home. When I looked at this phrase, I was like, no better way to describe it. Mom was the protector of the nest. You've heard the illustration, mama bird, don't let anything in. Our mom was the protector of the nest. We had a video game growing up, and I still remember it to this day. It was on the Super Nintendo. That's um, for the teenagers here. You had to insert cartridges into this, like, box, and you had to have a controller plugged into a wire that was connected. None of this wireless, digital CD, whatever. So anyways, Super Nintendo, we had this game, and some of you may relate to this and say, I remember this game. This was an awesome fighting game. It was really before Mortal Kombat and a lot of the other fighting games. It was called Killer Instinct. Anyone know that game? Ever heard of that? My favorite character was Cinder. He was this big, huge flame fire guy. Like you could, you could equate him to like, um, was it the Human Torch or some other character? So anyways, we're, we're playing this game and my brother and I would have different characters. We're going through the game. And then at a certain level, when you beat this um, creature or whatever, there's this lightning bolt that shoots down and turns him into a skeleton with a sword and a shield. My mom saw that, and she's like, uh, I don't like that. She's like, that's, that's not godly. And so we're like, Mom, it's just a video game, and I just destroyed him with a fireball. Like, it's all good. And then she talks to my dad about it. And then my dad says, all right, boys, next time you play that game, his exact words, I'm going to destroy it. He didn't say get rid of it. He didn't say sell it. He didn't say throw it away. He gave us a test. He said, next time you play that game, I'm going to destroy it. So a couple days, we didn't touch the game. A couple weeks went by. We didn't think anybody was around. My brother and I pop in the game, start playing, start fighting. And my dad hears it, comes downstairs, and we knew we were had. Um, we looked at him. He walks up. And if you know anything about these old video game systems, 
you don't just pull a cartridge out. You have to turn it off so, like, it's clean and it saves. No, Dad didn't care. He just ripped the cartridge out. The screen saves, and then he goes into the garage. My brother and I are just sitting there going, like, okay, what's going on? And all of a sudden, you hear this ding, and he's like, all right, boys, come on out. True to his word, we come out into the garage. He took an axe. I didn't know Dad had an axe in the garage to begin with. We live in Vegas. He took an axe and put it right through the middle of the video game. Now, you might be sitting there saying, like, it's a video game. Maybe your parents overreach. What the thing was is my mom realized something that she didn't like spiritually and just something as silly as a video game. I'm not here preaching against video games because I play them way too much. Um, but what she, said, what she she was doing, she was protecting the home. She's like, hey, I'm going to be the keeper at home. I'm going to talk to dad about this. And then dad's like, all right, I got it. So they were keepers of the home. Mom like, was a protector of the nucleus of life. And the home is the training ground that has the most impact on our family. And then most impact from the home to the church to the community and likewise. Another virtue here, the idea of being good or being kind, being gentle. It says here in, um, in, in, excuse me, in verse, uh, losing my place here, verse 5, it says, Africa, it says, obedient to their own husbands. Now, a lot of times when preachers get to this passage, they're like, I don't want to talk about this. When, it, when I look at the word obedience to their own husbands, when I'm seeing the young women or the, the aged women being told to teach the younger women on how to be obedient to your own husbands, the way I've always looked at this, and I could be wrong, and you can punch me in the face for this later, I've always looked at it as, like, I've told my wife, I'm like, our relationship is a team. Like, it's easier for my wife, to, for the lack of a better term, to be subject to my leadership if I myself am subject to God. Does that make sense? So if I'm following God, it's naturally easier for my wife to follow me because God has designed for the man to be the head of the home and to give an account for the home. This is not saying, you will obey me, and then like, go do this, go do that. No. Do you know how many times marriages have ended because someone took that exact context, like verse out of context, because they didn't understand that as I am subject to Christ, the children and, and the wife are subject unto the head of the home. And not every head of the home, it's the husband. Because in a single family situation, for the first eight years of my life, guess who the head of my home was? It wasn't my older brother. It was my mom. And she had to wear both hats. And so with that being said, there's that characteristic. But look at the end of verse, verse 5. It says, that the word of God be not blasphemed. That the word of God be not blasphemed. I think Paul here is emphasizing this is a consistent narrative that's gone all throughout Scripture. These characteristics, these virtues, these traits that the aged women are to teach the younger women are, are, are in line with everything else we've seen in Scripture so far. And why is the Word of God being consistent so important? Do we not live in an age where people will do whatever they can to discredit this book? Are there confusing passages within the Bible that you're like, eh, eh, that we don't understand? Yes. But at the same time, too, if you discredit this book, how do I have the authority to go to someone outside my home or outside my church and tell them about how much God loves them? Oh, how do you know God loves me? The Bible is inconsistent. It's got this and that and that. In reality, that's why this message is so consistent because the ultimate goal, I said this at the very beginning, is for the souls that are at stake outside of the walls of this church. The ultimate goal for us to have a healthy home, a healthy church, and a healthy community is for the glory of God. Because doesn't God love it when someone comes to Him? And so God's glory. As I said earlier, I'm not one to say that the role of the mom is constrained to that of the house only. I've known plenty of women in my life, my mom in particular, that was able to instill all these virtues and work over 40 hours a week and understand the responsibility 
my brother and I are at today are direct results because of the faithfulness of my parents. Not only do we need to understand our responsibility from last week, our role in action this week, but number two today, and we'll move along quickly, we need to understand the right example. In verse 6, this, when you first read it, you're like, okay, aged women, younger women, they just got like two verses of boom, 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 all these virtues and characteristics. If you read verse 6 just by itself, you're like, what? The guy's only got one verse? Young men likewise exhort, exhort to be sober-minded. Paul's actually changing like the recipient of this passage at this point. Since Titus is a young man within the churches in Crete, Paul's saying, okay, Titus, now this is your responsibility. You're going to teach the younger men uh, likewise, everything that we just taught through the aged women to the younger women, but your responsibility is to exhort the young men to be sober-minded. So these directions are directed at Titus, but the principles are timeless, and they can cross over to us in the home, to the church, and everywhere applicable. And so in verse right there, exhort, meaning to lift up, to teach, to invest, to intentionally share life with. Um, last weekend, um, as we preached, you probably saw me like, uh, like we had the fireworks booth week and I was exhausted. I actually went home on a Sunday and I took a nap for the first time in a long time. And um, that following Monday, I had some things to do in the morning and I just took the afternoon off to relax and rest and just kind of gather myself. Last Sunday, we shared uh, the prayer request of uh, Betty uh, Ward that uh, needed to have, you know, prayer because she was in the hospital and, and whatnot. And then I found myself Monday late Monday evening, around 8 o'clock, getting a phone call from Mike McKenzie, letting me know that Betty is, is home with the Lord. And one of the things that I knew right away, I didn't care how tired it was, I didn't, that wasn't even a thought. The thought that came to my mind was, I know where I need to be right now. And so I went upstairs as my wife is putting my daughters to bed. I kissed my daughters goodnight, and then I drove over to, uh, to the ward house, and we sat down. And one of the things that shocked me the most, um, as soon as I walked in, Wes stands up. He gives me a big old bear hug. And I was, I was just like, <clears throat> last week I preached about and I shared with my own heart that I myself need to do better on connecting with other people and like mentor-mentee relationships. I threw out some examples. And then no, longer, no more than 24 hours later, God's like, here you go. Here's something to practice what you preached on. And I went to the home and I, and I told Sharon, I told Al, and I told Wes, I'm not here to say anything cliche. I'm here just to spend time with you guys and love on you. And what did we do? We cracked up over old TV shows. And it was a great time in that respect. But the thing is, is like the decision was we need to intentionally share life with each other. Not just in the moments of grief and sadness, but every single day. There's men in this church that have years of spiritual experience. Even on me, I want to sit down and I want to pick your brain. And I want to pick your heart. And there's teenagers that I pour into. There's other younger men, uh, younger families that I pour my heart out into in discipleship and whatnot. But I still need that. And so with that intentional living, Timothy, excuse me, Paul is teaching Titus. I've probably said Timothy five times. I didn't even know it. Um, Paul is teaching Titus that you need to lift up these young men. Number one, to be sober-minded. But verses seven and eight, this is kind of like the list that I see towards the men and to Titus. It's, it says this, in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, a pattern of good works. When I read that, I think of setting the right example. We're not talking about good works to, you know, be in better favor of God. We're not talking about good works to get you into heaven. That's not how we get to heaven. We get to heaven by the grace of God and what He's done through faith and not works. But when it comes to setting the example, why setting the example? Why this pattern of good works? Because eyeballs are always watching you, always watching you. 
you don't believe that, I'll tell you plenty of stories of my daughter, like watching me and then doing it. And I'm like, ah. Um, because here's the thing. Our children will emulate what we do. Our church will emulate what they see. I'm a parent. When I see a kid do something and my initial reaction is, boy, if that were my child, I pause and then I observe. What does that other parent do? Because there's times where I probably would be not as graceful and then there's times where other parents... One of the lessons I've learned a lot recently is choose your battles, not just, you know, and and it's just one of those things where because I want my children to know I love them, but at the same time, too, I want them to know that dad is saying this because I'm trying to instill truth. I'm trying to instill behavioral change into your heart, into your life. And so our church emulates what they see, but if 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 it's in the home, if it's replicated in the church, guess what is seen outside these walls? How the church is, how the church responds, how the church is healthy. Can I be honest about something? I'm not a big fan of this. I think it's dumb. But at the same time, wearing something like this is not anti-biblical. It's not persecution. It's to keep people safe. And if, so if I remove myself, and you can have your arguments on whether you think it is or isn't safe or not, that's for another day. But the point of the matter is this. I don't want the outside world, because this is one of the conversations we've had in staff meetings over the last several months, is, and I'm annoying with this, and I'm the guy that says the word all the time, I say the words precedent and perception. What will the outside world think of us if we don't, you know, follow some of these simple guidelines? At the same time, thankfully, with our state, we haven't had guidelines restrict how we do church. Is it possible that could happen? It happened right next door. It happened in California. But at the same time, the point is this. The point is I want to be able to understand what happens in my home, happens in the church, and people outside the church see it. And so I, I, I'm very, I try to be more careful than not, and I try to see through just some, and I'll be honest with you, I get frustrated with it too. I walk into a store, and I see the front door, like, oh, I forgot it in my car. And I got to go right back and, and grab it, right? And it's just kind of like, oh, this is annoying. But at the same time too, people watch us. And the example we set ought to be one of a pattern of good works, specifically within the context of Titus here. Hebrews 13, 7 says this, Remember them which have rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow. Consider the end of their conversation. Right there, the author of Hebrews is telling us, there's people in your life that have experience. There's people in your life that are rule over you. They've spoken the Word of God into you. Follow the faith they teach as it pertains to the Word of God, considering their life and their lifestyle. If I'm up here preaching the Word and I'm living a completely different life, do I have any credence whatsoever? No. I need to be consistent with what the Word of God says. We need to be consistent with what, how the Word of God teaches to us. But at the same time, we have to set the example. And one of the biggest areas that was affecting the churches in Crete was that of false teaching. So he hits it again, in doctrine showing uncorruptness. You ever been told the same thing over and over and over again? Paul's hit this like several times to Titus, um, making sure the speech is pure, going back to chapter 1. As parents, as, as, as people within the church, isn't it not our responsibility to make sure our children are hearing truth? My daughter used to watch YouTube videos on her phone, and then I was like, whoa, what are you hearing? And then we switched to the YouTube Kids app, thinking that would be safer. There's stuff on the YouTube Kids app that I'm in earshot of, and I'm like... No, that's not right. And then we explain to her what it is, and I try to find settings within that app to try to eliminate some of that stuff. Um, But with that being said, it goes on to say to keep things pure within doctrine. But look at the next two words, verse 7, gravity and sincerity. 
take this serious. A healthy home, a healthy church is the most important mission we have in our life. Because if it's about the Great Commission, if it's about sharing with others the gospel message of Christ, if we're not living it, guess what? We're hypocritical. And they see it and they'll call it out. Pure speech, verse 8, sound speech. You know, the tongue is a powerful tool and it can be used for good or for bad. And it goes on to say, that cannot be condemned, speaking of that speech, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. I see there the idea of blamelessness. If my speech and my faith and my teaching is pure, it is going to be without blame. Nothing will stick to me. How do your children view you? How do your children view you? I viewed my parents as like, man, they're, they love the Lord, and there's times where I want to say, my parents are perfect. But deep down inside, they weren't perfect. They made mistakes just like everyone else. Now, when it came to parenting, when it came to some of the, the day-to-day things and the, and the values that we have instilled in us now is because my parents took this passage to heart. They were serious about it. And yet, they, my dad's biggest thing, he always talked about being blameless, making sure nothing sticks to you. So we have to realize the role in action. We have to realize the right example. And quickly and lastly this morning, we have to realize we need to have a right heart. Now, verses, verse 9 is kind of like, verses 9 and 10 are kind of like, almost a little bit out of the context in a sense. You're like, well, where's he going with this? But you'll see a connection here quickly. It says in verse 9, exhort servants to be obedient unto their masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again. Yesterday I had the opportunity to serve a local family that ironically Aaron and myself met through the coffee shop. And um, they had a, a young daughter pass away and we had a memorial service yesterday. And um, one of the things that had happened was there was some cleanup things at the very end. I planned on being here yesterday. I had some other things to do. And the family's like, what can we do? What can we do? Can we help? Can we clean? And I literally said, no, don't touch anything. Like, I'll take care of this. We're here to serve you. And, 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 and so you guys go and do what you have to do. And so when it comes to having the right heart, I remember as a child being told, hey, go take out the trash at the next commercial break. Three commercial breaks later as I forgot about it, and Dad's like, didn't I say take out the trash? And then what do I do? I take out the trash. And I'm like, what do I always take out the trash? I didn't have the right heart attitude and service, right? And so we, even within the realm of our home, in the realm of our church, why do we serve? We serve to help others. We serve to lift up those who, who need service. It says here in the verse, be obedient unto their own masters. In the workplace, do we not serve an employer? Do we not serve a, a set of rules or a set of policy? That, like, for example, if uh, whether it's a church event, like we have a harvest night coming up in October, Lord willing, um, is, there's a lot of plans, there's a lot of action steps that go into planning that. And if we kind of just go off on our own tangent and do something different, we may not accomplish the goal or the stated purpose at hand and the plans that are set in place. And it says, as servants, we're to um, obey our masters, but please them well in all things, not answering again. In other words, let's not be argumentative about it. Let's not be like the child that goes, Why? Because I said so. Why? Because I'm dad. Why? And he just goes on and on and on. Let's not argue about it because even, even in the context of our own home, there's times where I'll ask Kenna to do something. Dad, I don't want to. Do I need to take away the phone? Okay. <laughs> and so and then she just goes right to it. But there's times where she's like, I don't want to. She wants to argue about it whatnot. But that's my moment and opportunity as a father sit down and say, no, because there's going to be a time when you're not in my home, that you're going to go to work somewhere, and your boss is going to tell you to do something, and you're not going to be like, I don't feel like it, because there they'll fire you, and you'll be out of an income. And so, like, there's reasons you instill those lessons as they're there in your home, but also within the church. Um, Not argumentative. It goes on to say, verse 10, not purloining, but showing all good 
um, fidelity. There's an idea of being honest and above reproach there. But I want to focus on the latter part of verse 10, and then we'll be done this morning. That they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. The word adorn literally means to put in order. Um, How many of you have ever collected baseball cards or football cards growing up? I used to have, and I don't know what happened because I'm OCD when it comes to organization. I used to have these binders with these inserts that had like nine little plastic things, and I would put them in order of their team, right? And then each player, I would put in order of their numbered position on the field, right? And then, and then when I got a new card, guess what happened? The entire thing just got out of order or whatever. Um, but I, and then I would, sometimes I would even reorganize it just for fun and say, I'm going to put all the players in alphabetical order and whatnot. There was a, a way we would do things decently in order. The sad part is now my baseball cards are at home in a storage tote in the garage in a big old shoebox. I have no idea what happened to the organization, OCDness that I had, but that's now gone when it comes to that. And who knows what cards are in there. Um, but the point is when it comes to putting in order the things of God, our Savior, in all things, the doctrine of God, excuse me, that is the key. Paul's telling Titus, these virtues you're to teach your young, the, the aged women to the young women and the aged men to the young men, and it has to be pure. It has to be sound. Literally, like when I go to a sporting event, like I, I looked at it this way, literally putting on like the teachings and the doctrines of God. Literally wearing my Christianity, not so much as just a t-shirt, so to speak. Although if you don't have a passionate follower shirt, let me know. We'll make sure you get one. Um, solid plug there. Um, but at the same time too, like when I live life and I raise my family and I lead my family and then the church is healthy, people in the community should see not necessarily me, but they should see God through me, should they not? Isn't that what it means to be separate from this world? Um, but at the same time, we have to put on Christ. I go to a hockey game. What do I do? I put on a hockey jersey and support the team. If I go to a football game, I put on a football jersey and support the team. As Christians, when we go out into this community, we ought to put on Christ, set things in order in that very same way. Crete was described as Las Vegas times 100, according to one commentator. What's Las Vegas's key slogan? Blank what? Sin? City? How awesome would it be if Crete got a hold of this, how awesome would it be if Las Vegas and Oasis was used to start in the home, to, to, to be healthy in the home, and then into the church, and then into the community where Vegas as Sin City becomes Grace City. In order to be healthy as Christians and ultimately as the church, we must set the right example with the right servant's heart. A couple questions, I'm done. Who are you connecting to? The challenge I laid out last week of all the decision points that could have been made through that message, I said, think of someone this week that you can connect with, whether they're older or younger, that you could be a mentor and a mentee with. Who are you connecting with? Are you connecting with someone? And if not, what's holding you back? Because as the way I read this passage, it can only get better. We can only grow deeper. We can only grow more sound in our faith, in our life, and in our walk. Let's share life together not just in times of need. I should have been over at Wes and Betty's house many times before that. And, and, that's, and that's like the way I examine myself. But let's share life together. Let's just not come to church like it's clocking in and clocking out and I did my Christian duty for the week. Let's share life together. You, the biggest thing, the biggest heartache over the past several months through the quarantine and everything, the biggest thing that I missed was fellowship with each and every one of you, my church family, to the point where our first Sunday back a couple, like a couple weeks ago when we like were suffering and we did three services, our first Sunday back, 
I was crying to God saying, God, I'm so sorry I took this family for granted. I'm so sorry on a Sunday morning I'm running around and getting so many last-minute things done and not focusing enough time on people, not focusing enough time on living life intentionally and sharing it with each and every one of you. That's how God spoke to my heart this week. So will we understand our role in teaching action to those younger than us? Will we set the right example? And we, will we realize that we should have the servant's heart when we do that? just want to thank you again for joining us today. We pray that the service has been an encouragement and a blessing to you. Here at Oasis, we have a desire to walk alongside of you, to be a partner in your walk with the Lord. So if you have made any decision today, we would love to pray with and celebrate that with you. So will you please take a moment and fill out that connect form or text decision to the number provided below. Oasis is supported by the faithful people like you. So if you have a desire to give to the ministry and mission of Oasis, you can text GIVE to the number provided below. Click on the GIVE link or mail in your gift to the church office. Lastly, we have a desire to pray for you. So if you have a prayer request, you can email us at prayer at oasislv.church. Church, as we continue our study in the book of Titus, I pray that this life-changing grace will drive you to this world-changing action as a passionate follower of Christ.